not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, uh, says the Lord, uh, that you are going to build your church there through them, through their faithfulness, uh, but it's going to be all from you. So encourage them and give them joy today, and we celebrate with them. And Lord, as we give this morning, uh, we do it as a response to you and your goodness and faithfulness to us. Lord, strengthen our church here and strengthen churches all around the world. We pray in Jesus' name.
If you are a pet owner and you know that your pet knows when it's in trouble, raise your hand. Now you're probably a dog owner because let's face it, cats really don't care when they're in trouble. Am I right? The title of the sermon today is Get Sin Off the Throne, and the whole point is going to be to show this. When sin is on the throne, he doesn't belong there anymore, and you need to tell him to get off the throne. He's in trouble. Now, when your dog gets in trouble, get off the couch, right? Get off the bed. You tell him, and he has to do what you say. I found a compilation of videos of dogs getting in trouble. Do you want to see it? Check it out. Here's dogs getting in trouble. Who did it? Who did it? Won't even look at you. Won't even look at you. Got into the lipstick. Guilty. Get over here. What did you do? You were a bad girl. The pencils. Roll over. Huh? What are you doing? What is this? What is this? Bella, look at me. Did you eat that one too? Mike? Michael? I'm very disappointed in you. You know you're not supposed to be up there. Now look at that dog. <laughs> on the table, not supposed to be on the table, right? Get off the table. Now listen, this is really an accurate way of showing how your relationship to sin is supposed to change once you're a Christian. Sin is no longer calling the shots. Sin is no longer telling you what to do. Sin is not the master. Jesus gives you divine power to tell sin, get off the throne, get off the table, get off the couch, right? And, and you don't have to obey what sin says anymore because you are now in charge. There are so many verses in the Bible that give us hope that we can actually live in victory over sin and this is one of the greatest passages we're going to see today that show us how that can happen. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Lord, how we long to walk in victory. How we long to rise up over the things that bring us shame and fear and frustration and guilt. The things that make us feel like failures. Help us, Lord, to see how we can be victorious in our daily lives. Help us to see, Lord, our new relationship to sin and transform us by your mighty power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open up to Romans chapter 6, verse 11. The author is the Apostle Paul. The book is Romans. The series is called Nail It Down. We're learning about the fundamentals of faith, the primary core doctrines we believe, and we're going deeper into these doctrines each week. And we're like taking this, this passage apart week by week. We're continuing where we started uh, last week. But we're in a place in the book where, where we're uh, transitioning. We talked about salvation, the first several chapters, how we get saved. Now we're beginning to look at sanctification, how we can be transformed. How do we get saved? How can we be transformed? And so we're continuing on that in chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, 
but under grace. Hey, the first thing you can drop down is a question. Have you been brought from death to life? If you want to live a life of victory over sin, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to repent and believe the truth about Jesus. It says here, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Bible describes what it means to get saved. It says you were dead, but you become alive to God in Christ. You've been brought from death to life. It also says that you were transferred from law to grace, a new realm, a new relationship with God. This only happens when you are set free from sin by Jesus. It says that you can be set free from sin in verse 7, set free from sin in verse 18, set free from sin in verse 22. It has to happen. And so has that happened to you? Have you been brought from death to life? If so, it says here, then sin is no longer your master. Let, do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This is how your relationship to sin starts and ends. The Bible says when you were born, you were a prisoner of sin. You were a slave to sin. Sin was your dark lord. When I think of a dark lord, I always think of Star Wars, the emperor, right? Here's a picture of the emperor. And when he, when he was in control of you, look at that sinister smile and those evil yellow eyes. And, and who would want to be serving him? Am I right? But the Bible says that this is sin's relationship to us when we're born. No, you don't just outwardly do nothing but sin all moment of every day. But as time rolls on, you realize that you're not in charge of sin. Sin is in charge of you. Sin is calling the shots, and you can't break free from sin. You can't stop sinning. And that's God's way of showing you that you have a dark master, and you do what he says. But that can change when you become a Christian. Now, once you're saved, interestingly enough, sin no longer has ruling authority over you, but sin does try and lobby to get influence over you on a daily basis. So do you remember who the emperor was before he was the emperor? Who was he? Who was he? Senator Palpatine. Check it out. Here's a picture of the senator. In Star Wars, he starts out as a senator, and there he is just behind plotting and scheming and trying to get votes and trying to get votes, and then he eventually becomes the emperor. Now here's the thing. In the Bible, it actually happens in reverse. Sin is your emperor first. Then when you're saved, then sin becomes the senator. Then sin is that lobbying. Hey, I've got an idea. Hey, I think I know what we can do to improve this situation. Hey, I've got a, I've got a plan, and you need to trust my plan. And the Bible is saying sin is going to constantly try and climb back up on that throne, and you have to say, get off the throne. Get off the throne. You're not a, we're not, I'm not putting you in charge of anything anymore. And sin will take any assignment you give to it and ruin your life. So have you been brought from death to life and sin no longer has ruling authority over you? Well, how do I get saved? Jot this down. You have to repent and ask Jesus to save you. Are you saved? Are you saved? You get saved when you repent of your sin and you ask Jesus to take away all of your sin and then you get to go to heaven. Are you saved? Have you repented from your, your love for sin and asked God to break you free from sin? Your salvation is the first feature film God directs in your life. And it, it's quite an epic film. It, it takes years. No one is born saved. So God directs your salvation. And then maybe you got saved when you were four or 40 
or 84, I don't know, but you had to get saved. That's the first film. Then God directs your sanctification. That's, that's the sequel. He transforms you. He conforms you to his image. He gives you new victory. That's the sequel. And then time will come when you leave this world, and that's your glorification. Right? That's when you live forever with him, making it a trilogy. Your salvation, your sanctification, and then your glorification in that order. For some of you, you're still in film one, and it hasn't ended yet. God is still trying to get you to see he wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. Have you repented and asked Jesus to save you? Then you've moved from law to grace. What does that mean? Well, law refers to the law of Moses. It also can refer to your relationship as being aware of God's moral law and trying to keep the rules as best you can to stay out of trouble, but not really having a relationship with him. The law of Moses was never intended to save us. In the book of Hebrews, it makes this clear by using this illustration of two mountains. There's two possible mountains where you can try and get to God. Here's a picture of some mountains, and if I told you, hey, God's up on top of one of those, go find him. Your follow-up question would be, which one? And if I was like, I don't know, pick one. You wouldn't go, you'd be like, I don't even know which one it is, and I'm not going to waste, you know, weeks of my life trying to climb the wrong mountain. Listen, imagine on the left, that's Mount Sinai. What you have there is a mountain that God established to show you, you can't get to me this way. That mountain was on fire. Moses came down and said, here's 10 reasons you can't come up here. No one walked up Mount Sinai and got to live with God. So that was a warning. That was a warning. Now on the right, imagine that's what the Bible calls Mount Zion. You can go up that mountain, but the only way up is to follow Jesus. You can be there forever with God, only if you follow the Son of God. Hey, listen, here's, here's how I would say it simply put. If you're following the rules, you'll never get to heaven. If you're following Jesus, you'll get to heaven. Are you following the rules or are you following the Lord? If you follow Jesus, you're saved. If you're just trying to behave and do your best, well, you're not going to get there. You're still under law. And God wants you to be under grace. So have you been brought from death to life? Have you been brought from law to grace? Do you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ? If so... Sin doesn't belong on the throne anymore. So look back in the Bible. It says this. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So number one, have you been brought from death to life? Number two, jot this down. Don't let sin reign any longer. Don't let sin reign any longer. We could talk for a whole sermon about the divine side of you winning your battles with sin and how God has to initiate that and he gives you the power and that's another sermon. The text doesn't say that. What the text says is summoning you to action. You don't let this happen. Based on everything God has done for you in Christ Jesus, you need to be the one to say, get off the throne. I found a really cool picture of like a throne. It's like in a mall or something, but check it out. There, there's a guy walking by a really huge throne. I would love to sit on that. I would take pictures. But imagine that represents whatever's in charge of you. Now, sin sat on that chair from the moment you were born. And if you believed in the Lord Jesus, then he had to get off the throne. Now, you might be tempted to climb up on that chair and rule your own life. That's even worse. That's like you being like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be my own master. I'm going to be my own boss. Yeah, you don't even do your own dental work, all right? And you're going to rule your whole life and get yourself to heaven, please. You, the ability you have to manage the affairs of your own life is greatly limited. If you don't change your own oil, don't tell me that you're going to get yourself into heaven. Okay, that's a much bigger task. If you're trusting you, if your plan is you, maybe you need to get yourself off the throne. 
All right? Sin doesn't belong on the throne. You don't belong on the throne. Jesus belongs on the throne. And here's a, a call for you to say, Christ belongs on the throne, and I'm not going to let sin reign any longer. Just like you tell your dog, get off the couch, get off the bed, when he sneaks where he doesn't belong. Sin does not belong on the throne of your heart anymore. The Bible's personifying sin here for effect. So I don't want you to think that sin is actually really like this being outside of you, okay? Sin is actually an ugly energy that flows from your very heart. But this idea of personifying it shows how your relationship to that power is supposed to change. You're not supposed to let that power control you anymore. But it's kind of a literary device to treat it like it's a separate thing. If you make the mistake of thinking it's outside of you, then you're kind of off the hook. Oh, sin did it again. There he goes again. No, it's you. Okay, it's you. So this whole personification is not meant to give you, you know, separation from the guilt. Don't let sin reign any longer. Another way to think about this is Jesus took sin off the throne and put him on the ballot. So sin is no longer on the throne, but he is on the ballot. And you can actually put him in charge of things. You can vote him in to certain departments of your life if you're not careful. Oh, he's still around. He might not have a whip and a rod and a crown anymore, but he has a megaphone, right? And he is lobbying you to put him, put me in charge of anything, anything. Put me in charge of the block party. I don't care. I'll do a great job. Just give me anything. And if you put him in charge of anything, he will begin ruining you again. But here's the thing. You have to give him the power now. You have to elect him to take over a part of your life. He no longer has that governing authority. He's off the throne, but he's on the ballot. Don't vote for him. Don't listen to his plan. Don't buy his campaign promises. You cannot trust him with any power over anything in your life. I'm afraid of vampires. I'll admit it. Maybe you're not, but I am. Kids aren't afraid of vampires these days because they've got movies like Hotel Transylvania, making it a fun cartoon. I lived in the 80s, and I saw the real vampire movies, and I was afraid. I, I was not saved, so that's my disclaimer. But I saw movies like The Lost Boys with Keeper Sutherland, and I lost sleep. How many of you saw that movie, The Lost Boys with Keeper Sutherland? See? I know the rules. You've got to wear a garlic necklace. You've got to have a wooden stake with you, right? And, and you never do what? You never, when they come to your house, you never what? Never invite them in. Right? I know the rules because I'm afraid of vampires. Oh, if you invite them in, it, it's your own fault what happens to you at that moment. Okay? In case you didn't know that. They don't teach this in schools anymore, all right? I'm joking to make a point here. The point is sin now needs to be invited into your life. And why on earth would you do it? Why, if he's standing at the, let me in, let me in, why would you let him in? All right? It would be easier for you if you did let a vampire in compared to if you let sin into your life. Sin is a worse villain. And we should be warned that we're not to let sin reign any longer. Don't invite him in. It says here in verse 13, verse 12, don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
So the location that we obey this is inside, okay? And yet, the expression of our obedience comes from the outside. So the passions are there. Sin is seducing us on the inside. But our obedience comes on the outside. So it says in verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. The, the idea here is the body parts you have can be used by sin to do damage. So did you jot this down already? Jot this down. Don't surrender any part of your life to sin. Don't surrender any part. And, and we could use many different ways to put categories up there, but let's just use body parts, head to toe. You can sin in so many ways. We can sin with our mind, with our thoughts, with, with, with our we can sin with what we're thinking. We can also sin with our eyes, what we're looking at, with our ears, what we're listening to, with our mouths. We can sin with what we say. The words that come out of our mouths can do so much damage. And you can just go all around the body, the hands with what you do, right? The feet with where you go. There's so many different ways that you can sin using your body. And the Bible says, don't let sin have anything. Don't give them your pinky finger, don't give them your right earlobe. I don't know how you'd sin with your right earlobe, but the point is, don't let him touch anything. Nothing. He gets none of you, and God gets all of you. Don't surrender even one part. Then it says here, don't, do you not know, or I'm sorry, reading in verse 13, don't present your members as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now that word instruments in the Greek means like a weapon, uh, like, like a, a weapon. And the idea is if you give sin a beachhead in your life, he will weaponize anything to hurt you. Whatever you give him, he's going he's gonna to use it against you. He'll hurt you and he'll hurt other people as a weapon. Um, and so I love weapons, I've got to admit. When we went to Romania once, we visited a castle, like a medieval castle called Pelish Castle. This is where the Romanian kings spent their summer. And when we were taking the tour, I liked the architecture and I liked all that, but then we got to the armory. And I was like, oh yeah, hello. So check it out. Here's a picture of the armory. And I was like, this is where the tour stops for me. Everyone can continue and I'm just going to play in here for the rest of the day. <laughs> Pick up a sword. Let's, you know, they don't let you do that though. So, but wouldn't it be awesome to get in that suit of armor and jump up on that horse and check out this other picture? Like, I just wanted to take one of those things down and play with it. And here's another picture. There's just so much fun that you can have there. Check all that out. I love the medieval times. I go to the medieval times dinner and tournament. Have you been there, right? Uh, where you get to see the knights fight it out. Like, that's so much fun for me. But now look up there. Put the picture back up there. So here's all these weapons. This is what sin's going to do with anything you put in his hands. He will turn it into a weapon. He will hurt others and, and you will hurt yourself. And the Bible says, don't do it. Don't put anything into his hand. Don't surrender any part of your life to sin. It's going to lead to pain. Not your hands, not your feet, not your mind, not your eyes, not your ears, not your mouth. But it says here, instead present it to God. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. The idea here is this. Christians should not accept defeat in any area of your life without a fight. You shouldn't just get to the point where you're allowing sin to rule something, some area of your life. There's so many different spots where you can do a checkup. You know, when it comes to your words, 
Ask yourself this. With the words you're saying to your spouse or, or your boss, with the words you're saying to those you see, your friends, I mean, are you winning the battle? Are you really displaying tremendous holy restraint on what comes out of your mouth? Are you losing the battle? Do you feel like there's more defeat than there is victory? Or have you lost the battle? I mean, are you just showing no restraint now with what comes out of your mouth? Is there just no fight left in you and it's just a sewer? I mean, you might need to sit down with the person you love and say, we don't talk to each other that way anymore. We don't, we don't talk to each other that way. You might need to say that to your child. Hey, listen, we don't talk to each other that way anymore. And own whatever you've done. Own it. But let's establish a standard of victory here, right? How about... How about your anger? Is your anger in a righteous place? Are you winning the battle over anger? Are you slow to anger? Are you, are you not letting the sun go down on your anger? Are you, or are you losing the battle? Is it getting you more than you're getting it? Or, or have you just flat out lost it? I mean, are you just out of control when you're in the car? Are you just out of control when you're at work? And anything goes wrong, you know, the technology, but are you just, are you just a volcano? I mean, have you lost the battle? Sin shall not be your master. Do not let sin sit on that throne. And listen, if you've lost the fight in any area of your life, it's time to put the gloves back on and get back in the ring. God says that sin shall have no dominion over you. We can experience defeat in our finances where we've just totally lost the battle. The debt's getting out of control. We're not even talking about it anymore. We're spiraling downward and it's just bondage, fear, materialistic spending, bondage, indulgence, no generosity, no care, for, and we've just lost the battle. We can let our eyes get out of control, and we just keep looking at things. It starts with an indecent TV show, then I'm clicking on the ads, then I'm going to the websites, then I'm watching horrible things, and, and I've lost the battle. I'm not even fighting anymore. I'm sinning comfortably. Listen, God says, get sin off the throne. Don't surrender any part of your life to sin. And jot this down. We have to stop making excuses for sin. When we have clear biblical teaching here that says you have been brought from death to life, when, when we read here that sin will have no dominion over you, when we see here that we're not under law anymore, we're under grace, that, that clears up all of our wrong thinking. There's so many excuses that we use to justify our sin. There's a few of them that I can list here for you, but we'll say, you know what, I tried. I tried, oh, I tried to change that, it just didn't work. I tried, I tried hard, I tried long. Well, that's no excuse to just accept defeat. God wants to give you the victory, and maybe the reason why you failed so long is because you've been trying in your own strength, and you haven't truly surrendered to the Lord and said, that's it, I, I, I surrender this to you completely. Maybe you need professional help in an area of your life, and you've been trying to do it alone. You've been trying to do it yourself project when you really need a professional to help you. But whatever it is, the whole I've tried and it didn't work is just not a good excuse. Another excuse is, well, that's just who I am. That's just who, I'm just an angry person. That's just who I am. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a truth teller. Well, that's not who you are in Christ. That's not who Jesus died to make you. So this whole, well, that's just who I am is not a valid excuse, right? Another excuse is, well, I'm doing great except with this one person or except in this one area, meaning 
the areas of victory justify this, just this one area of defeat. Oh, I'm nice to almost everyone, but when that person shows up, well, they're, they're just a difficult person. Do you know how many Bible verses you're violating when you give yourself permission to treat difficult people sinfully? I mean, the Bible says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The Bible says, if you love those who love you, bravo, the world does that. I mean, the whole challenge of the Christian faith is not to love easy people, it's to love difficult people, right? And if you want to grow in your faith, truly this year, pray for God to bring some difficult people along because they will teach you more about Christ-likeness than the easy people ever could. No more excuses. No more excuses. If you want to know God in a powerful way on a daily basis, it's time for the cycle of shame and sin to end. It's time for the lust and the anger and the lying and the laziness and the fear and the materialism and the bitterness and the insecurity to be brought before the Lord. And it's time for sin to have no more power in these areas. Get off the throne. Get off the throne. Number one, have you been brought from death to life? Repent and ask Jesus to save you. Number two, don't let sin reign any longer. Don't surrender any part and stop making excuses. And number three, jot this down. Present yourself as a servant of God. Present yourself as a servant of God. It goes on in verse 15 to say this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So culturally what was going on here is the Apostle Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, likely. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. Then he got saved, and Jesus became his favorite. Well, in, in Israel, Moses was everybody's favorite, right? Moses. Mo oh, they grew up. Like VBS, the theme was like Moses. You know, Moses is amazing. He gave us the law. He delivered us from Egypt. We love Moses. And then Paul's like, Jesus is better. And they're like, what? What? He's saying that Moses means nothing. Are you saying Moses doesn't matter anymore? You can see how this new teaching that Jesus sets us free from the law kind of disagrees with Moses in the eyes of some back then. And Paul's like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the law is done or gone or meaningless or pointless. It just had no power to save us. The law couldn't save us. Moses couldn't save us. Jesus can. So he's dealing with that tension here. He's like, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. The theology here is really deep, and I wish we had more time to go into it. But here's the idea. You would think that when we were under law, Ten Commandments, follow the rules, that we'd behave more. And if we're under grace and God's like, I forgive it all, that we'd be like, sweet, let's party. He's, Dad's forgiving it all. You would think that being under grace would lead to more sin, but it doesn't. Being under grace, being under the love of God, actually promotes more obedience. Now, as a parent, you know this. If your child came to you and said, I just cleaned my room and you didn't ask me, you'd be like, check for fever, right? And then if the child is like, I did it because I'm terrified of your wrath, you'd be like, good, good enough. But if your child came to you and said, I cleaned my room and you didn't ask me because I love you. Double the allowance. <laughs> oh, oh. 
Now, as a parent, you know that if that child is motivated by love for you, you're going to get more obedience. If they're in a state where they just are so grateful and thankful, if you know that they're just following the rules when you're watching, guess what? You're getting less and you know it. Fine, I got caught again. Fine. You're like, I'm watching you. And you know that's going to actually lead to like more rule breaking because they're under law. They're under fear. They're under compliance. But when they're under love, you're like, this is amazing. There's so many things that are just getting solved because we're in a good place. God, is, God knows that too. So jot this down. Present yourself as a servant to God. You have to present. You can't just avoid letting, reigning sin, you, letting sin reign. You have to also present yourself as a servant of God. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone, verse 16, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So it's one or the other. There's no such thing as like, like today there's a, there's a whole lot of talk about, you just do what's right for you. You just be you. It's a lie that you can actually be self-governing. You're either going to be under the rule of sin or under the rule of God. And it'll show up eventually. So who's going to be your master? And it says in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. There's a lot here, but the idea is this. Present yourself as a servant of God wherever you are. Whatever you do in life, you can serve God. Whatever you do in life, wherever you live, you can offer yourself as a servant of God. So when I got saved, I was a DJ. <laughs> I went to weddings and I led parties. Here's a picture of DJ Ryan. Check it out. There's me dressed like a blues brother because we were performing DJs. So we went out there on the dance floor and danced like idiots because everyone loved it. And, and we, you know, so, so here I, I'm a Christian. And so I set up all my equipment and then I would just be like, all right, I'm going to say a prayer. Lord use me tonight as I lead the Macarena. I, <laughs> I don't know what it means for God to bless me. I'm going to really want the hokey pokey to go well. I mean, I don't know. Like, I was this new Christian, and I'm like, I mean, I asked for the event to go well, for my equipment to work right, you know, and uh, I don't know. But while I was out there leading the electric slide, I don't know how God was with me in that, but I know that he was. And whatever you do, you can be like, Lord, I want you to use me. I want to represent you well. So then I became a teacher before I was a pastor. Here's a picture of Mr. Hall. There's Mr. Hall. I taught third grade, then I taught fourth grade, and I showed up and did my lesson plans and graded papers. And, and uh, that, that, those were great years. I loved teaching. It was a lot of fun. And so I would pray before school each day for the kids and for the school and sometimes I'd try something like when Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose came out, I was like, to try doing like a teacher lunchtime book club and I handed out little flyers and we had like 20 teachers come during lunch to read all of that book and I was in a public school so I saw it as a chance to do some evangelism and a few of us uh, were Christians so we would sometimes get together and pray like once a week so I, I, that's where I was and so I was like all right Lord use me and wherever I was I was like all right Lord help me to DJ help me to be a teacher and do you know that you can present yourself to God whatever you do you can start your day presenting yourself to God and saying, here I am, use me, be with me, protect me. You can do that. Uh, 
How do I do that? Well, jot this down. Follow from the heart. Follow from the heart. It says here in verse, it says here in verse uh, 17, thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So now you follow God from the heart. Not of routine or obligation. You're not just going through the motions. You've been welcomed into a new realm under grace. You, you have a new relationship with God. You have, you've been set free from sin, so follow God from the heart. Jot this down. Also, align your life with God's word. It says, follow from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Please understand that the Bible isn't teaching that there was law in the Old Testament and there's only grace in the New. No, no. There was grace in the Old Testament and there is law in the New. But the relationship has changed. You, you are now under grace and therefore the law has been fulfilled but you are now to live out your faith in a way that's consistent with God's word. You're not free from the word of God, right? You're free from the penalty of your sin. But true Christian joy, true abundant life comes from following God's word from the heart in ways that you never could when you were just in fearful compliance mode. So there is a law and you have to follow it. A good way to think about this is Matt Chandler said, grace does not make sin safe. Grace does make sinners safe. All right, both of those are true. As a sinner, you're safe if you're saved by Jesus. But grace does not make sin safe. And as a Christian, you, you can let sin in and he can do so much damage to you and your family. He can do so much damage to your finances and God will let you reap what you sow. Sin is not safe. All right? You're safe, but sin is still not safe. So follow from the heart. Align your life with God's word. And jot this down. Because you've been set free. It says set free. Set free in verse 7. Set free in verse 18. Set free in verse 22. You've been set free, having become slaves of righteousness. You've been set free from the power of sin. Why on earth would you go back to those handcuffs? Why on earth would you go back to that jail cell? One final illustration I'll share with you to motivate you to put this into practice. Imagine being in an abusive marriage. I mean so abusive that your husband is literally planning your death. And he, he wants to collect on the life insurance or whatever. Like imagine being in the worst possible abusive marriage where your husband wants you dead. And you live in fear every day, and there's no love. And to escape, you don't just stage your own death. You really die. But then in several days, your friends somehow bring you back to life and change your appearance and give you a new identity. And, and your old husband has no idea that it's taken place. And you're alive, and you're free, and, and you're unbound, and there's no fear. And then one day your old husband drives up next to you and opens the door and says, hey, hop in. I'll give you a ride. Why would you get in that car? Why would you get in that car? Why would you take a ride anywhere? You've been set free. Don't go back into bondage. Don't let sin give you a ride anywhere. You have been set free. Let's pray.
Father, too often when sin comes into our life, we listen. We listen closely. We listen carefully. We listen for too long. Sin shall not be our master. Lord, we know that we're tempted in many ways. Sin is persuasive and powerful. But help us, Lord, to slam the door and walk away. And I just pray, Lord, as we reflect on where we're at with you, if there's an area in our lives, as people are reflecting on this, if there's any area in their life where they know sin is just winning, I just pray that they would talk to you right now and with all the authority given in Christ, that they would say, get off the throne. Get off the throne. And Lord, if, if this battle, if this fight has been lost for weeks or months or years, I just pray that they would start swinging again. I pray that they would get back in the fight and ask for help and receive divine support. I pray that people would be honest with their fellow Christians and small group leaders this week and say, hey, I'm losing here. I'm losing here and I need help. And I pray that we would again experience the thrill and the joy of victory when sin loses and God wins in our families, in our finances, with our words and our thoughts. May sin lose and may Christ win again. And Lord, as we repent and turn back to you, help us to find all the power of heaven waiting for us. You love us. We're not under law. We're not meant to just behave in fear and terror. We're meant to be children of God. So help us to know your love and your affection and your strength as we turn back to you and give us power to walk in newness of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together. All I have because of Jesus All this promise won for me When he paid the highest ransom Once for always For my Right.
for Leadership starts in a few minutes. It's open to anyone who wants to learn about leadership at Harvest. Be in the chapel, lunch will be provided. Also, we have people down front to pray with you, to pray for you. And in addition, there is no student ministry tonight. As you go, know you are loved. God bless.